than orange on Saturday. Yeah, you you definitely picked it right. Um, we probably should have known, and I think we probably joked about John going out and us immediately uh, winning a game. Um, obviously, there's a bye week this week, so uh, there won't be a loss in any case, uh, assuming John's gone next week. But um, definitely a, a really exciting weekend, I think, for, for Syracuse football after a really brutal start the first two weeks. Um, the Orange, if you somehow missed the game, and if you're listening to this podcast in that case, uh, interesting choice. Uh, 30, 37 to 20. Uh, against Georgia Tech. Yes. Yes. If you're going back to watch the game for the first time, do that and then come, come listen to us. Um, yeah. So 37 to 20 win in the uh, debut of uh, the uh, artist formerly known as the Terrier Dome, now a not quite domey uh, renovated stadium. Uh, it looked really cool. We got uh, some previews of uh, what it looks like from the inside. Uh, definitely some different lighting and different effects. I'm, Set it up there hopefully next year sometime uh to actually see it in person but in any case a, a really nice way to ring that in um weird to not have fans there for it but obviously that was by far the safest choice um the offense uh stored uh, you know some touchdowns which was a nice change tommy devito uh definitely had his best game of the season uh by you know a large large margin the defense uh had some some issues but uh but still kept you know had five turnovers which was amazing uh, probably kept us in the game in, in a point where Georgia Tech looked like they might be swinging momentum a little bit with the run game. So um, a lot to break down, especially compared to the first two weeks. Um, what would you say was your, your glaring like first takeaway from, from watching Syracuse uh, pull off the 17-point win? Well, it's got to be the guy who kick-started the offense for the Orange, and that is the freshman running back sensation. That is Sean Tucker. and He just won ACC running back of the week, uh, given out by the conference. And to say that the Syracuse running game has been an issue in the first two games is probably a big understatement as you could get. And the fact that he comes in fresh off the bench after seeing Jawar Jordan perhaps get a little bit banged up in his first series and then immediately comes in to rush for more yards than any other Syracuse running back had combined in the first two games of the season shows to the testament just not only how talented he could potentially be, but how much of a spark plug he might be for the entire offense in general. Because it's really the run game that sets up the fast-flowing offense that we're used to seeing Adino Baber's offense look like over the first couple of seasons at Syracuse. If your run game doesn't get as developed, then it becomes a lot more harder for DeVito and the wide receivers to do their job. But the fact that Tucker came in and actually gave decent yardage on most plays. It's not like he was getting stopped for only one or two yards when he was just running into a sea of guys up the middle. He was actually fighting for a couple more yards after contact. I think that's the biggest takeaway for me, and not just the big runs that he pulled off, the spectacular runs that he pulled off. It was the ability to fight for more yardage than he probably deserved in terms of the defense stopping the run uh, well from Georgia Tech's side, but him pushing for those extra yardage gives me a little bit more hope in terms of him developing as a strong running back for the foreseeable future for the Orange. Yeah, I think he was uh, a revelation, honestly, like entering the year before we had the two big opt-outs at the top. Um, I mean, Sean Tucker was what? I guess the de facto fifth string running back because we, we thought that it would be Jawar Jordan and Mackenzie Pierre getting the bulk of the touches and then here he comes looked really good like in very short uh minutes obviously against um against Pitt uh but he had like four or five touches total but like definitely looked like uh, bring he was bringing a different element 
um, more of like a one cut, you know, upfield, you'd pound out some yards, kind of that inside running uh, that we were really lacking because Jordan, I don't think is really built for it. Pierre doesn't seem to quite have it at this point. Um, and the offensive line obviously presents issues, but Tucker, um, you know, it, it seems like whatever happened between that week and then practice this past week um, gave the coaching staff the confidence to just give him the bell cow um, you know, you know, he had 24 carries for a guy playing in what his second game ever is pretty incredible. Um, and also, you know, he was a, a, a nice recruit. Was like, I think our fifth ranked recruit coming into the year. Um, he had a Wisconsin offer, and if you're a running back with a Wisconsin offer, like that's pretty telling. But I don't think anyone was expecting him to, you know, go for 112 yards and two touchdowns against an ACC opponent, even if one that's pretty weak in Georgia Tech. But uh, it definitely gave us a different dimension uh, to the offense, um, and it, it kind of goes back and reminds you like uh, with all the struggles in the first two weeks it wasn't just one thing the struggles up front both hurt the passing game and the running game but also the lack of running game then made it very much harder for DeVito to get those long uh, the ability to throw deep downfield as he did successfully a few times this week for the first time really all season um, and then it kind of all just like worked together to really stifle the offense the first couple of weeks this week obviously we want to see more than you know 194 passing yards um, and, uh, you know, probably will run more than 61 plays, honestly. We, we talked about our pace last week when John was on um, being kind of an issue, uh, and it was a theme of the Cyphers last week. But um, overall, like, you have to like what uh, the balance that they found this week, and, and you know, the, the it shows in the scoreboard. Obviously, a lot of that was the turnovers and the defense scoring itself, but um, really just looked like a different team, and one that, that I, I appreciated um, really figured some things out and was, was willing to – uh, do some different things rather than just try to like do the exact same thing through two weeks and hope it would just work against a different opponent. Like we saw a defensive lineman coming in as extra blockers near the goal line where we had struggled so much, especially in that UNC game. Um, we saw a little bit more out of the tight ends, not a ton, but something like they were on the field. We uh, Aaron Hackett caught a pass, Luke Benson caught a pass. Um, obviously, two catches for 11 yards isn't what we want, but at least like our coaches knew they were there on the team, so that's an improvement. Um, and then just overall, like, I thought that the receivers looked better. Just, like, it seemed like everyone was in, in a better form. And obviously, Georgia Tech, I think, is the weakest of these three defenses we played. Um, it obviously looked really good against Louisville this week. UNC still hasn't played again since we played them, which uh, makes it hard to really compare our game to what's coming up next. Hopefully, they'll get to play this weekend. Um, but I also thought it was nice to go into a bye week with that kind of uh, – with that kind of performance. Um, and on the defensive side, obviously, uh, the run the run defense concerned me a little bit. Um, but the, the playmaking is just so impressive, especially when you have your biggest playmaker, Andre Sisto, go out kind of mysteriously right before the game after a collision with Ed Hendricks. Um, what, what were your takeaways about the young guys who stepped in and, and how they really uh, managed to, to really fill that gap? And, and it didn't look like the, the defense really – missed the beat except for you know the running game hurt us a little bit but that was kind of the middle of the game when they were still playing catch up too so uh, i thought the, the the defensive back depth was was a, a major takeaway what, what do you think about how those young guys played i think that was a, a big big talking point as well when you saw last week against pitt we already had a little bit of a preview with that when jihad carter had to come in to play for eric coley who we still don't know exactly if he was injured or not um in terms of um, why he is not featured in the past two games. That last week against Pitt, Carter looked especially against uh, Pickett and their receivers. And against Georgia Tech, had a good read on the interception 
that he got from Sims, which was a horrible pass by Sims. I'm sure we can get to uh, Syracuse being very fortunate uh, to play a very young quarterback as well. But I think Rob Hanna, the guy who came in to replace Cisco, was one of the players of the game for Syracuse. He really stepped up and made some key tackles, got a got a nice penetration um, on one particular uh, play to tackle. I believe it was Gibbs behind the line for a loss and recovered nicely after slipping on a play to gobble up an interception on an overthrown ball by Sims. But that goes also to show you, I think, how well these players have adjusted and embraced the 3-3-5 from Tony White. And I think something that doesn't get talked a lot about is that Syracuse into this season because remember that was supposed to be Zach Arnett and he was signed he was signed for Syracuse they had a signing graphic for him and everything but he spurred them for Michigan uh, not Michigan for Mississippi State and Mike Leach and so Syracuse had to scramble for Tony White and Steve and um Andy mentioned this on the live stream uh a couple days ago that this is Tony White's first job as a defensive coordinator. And to see everyone on the defense really rally behind his system is really, really impressive. And everyone, I believe, agrees that the defense is easily the best part of this team and probably the most fun part of this team to watch as well. And it goes to show that he's done a really good job of hiding the quote-unquote youth and inexperience of this team to really turn a question mark in terms of youth and inexperience into a non-factor. We thought the linebackers were going to be abysmal through this year because of no Andrew Armstrong and no Lakeem Williams, but they've been one of the stronger units, albeit not against the run, but in terms of providing pressure against Sims and other quarterbacks, they've been impressive. Garrett Williams on the opposite corner spot to Ifeotu Melifonwu has been very impressive as a secondary cornerback. And then the guys who have filled in at the safety spots, maybe not so much against Pitt, but against Georgia Tech, performed really, really well. Now, the key thing, as you mentioned, is going to be, can Syracuse stop the run a bit more effectively than they did against Georgia Tech, who is, albeit, one of the better rushing teams in the conference? But who knows if um, maybe other teams can see Georgia Tech running the ball well, see UNC running the ball well in week one and say, oh, maybe we can attack that. Or if you're a more if you're looking for a more passing centric style of attack against Syracuse, you see what Pitt did against Syracuse and exploit zone coverage a lot. Those are the two big concerns I have about the three three five is the run defense and zone coverage against the pass. If that can tighten up for Syracuse, this could be a defensive unit that ranks very highly among the entire FBS, not just the ACC. Yeah, I, I think the three three five is kind of. Uh... I'm interested to see if we are on the front end of like a trend here. Obviously, San Diego State, where we basically targeted where we wanted our, did our defense from with both Arnett and White, um, has been doing this for a while. Uh, but with both the Syracuse Georgia Tech game, and then if you look at Mississippi State with Arnett, um, it definitely seemed like when you have an inexperienced quarterback facing it, there's so many moving parts and so much different stuff happening on the back levels um, that it really is difficult. Obviously, Miles Brennan at LSU put up some decent numbers, but lost the shootout. Um, Sims, like, he's a freshman, and it's not surprising that a freshman got confused by kind of an exotic defense. Um, 
he also played his worst game of three, and like one of those has been Florida State, which obviously I don't think is a very good team. Um, got <laughs> nope. destroyed by Miami this weekend. Um, but at least a talented team, and he carved them up. He threw two picks, and he's a little bit interception prone for sure. But he had 277 yards. He had a 64 on the ground. And then last week against UCF, um, they lost, you know, handily 49-21. But he played pretty well. He threw for 244 yards against another talented team. He ran for 82 yards and a touchdown. Um, this weekend, like, he he, threw his, he had his lowest completion percentage. He had his low, lowest uh, yardage output. Um, he threw double the pitch that he had the last two weeks. He rushed for the fewest yardage, even though he was pretty effective on the ground. So I do think, like, you can definitely point to Sims' inexperience as uh, an issue, but he's he'd done better against, I would argue, two more uh, talented def- defenses at Florida State and UCF. So I think um, I, I'm really fascinated because I, I saw a lot more with the Mississippi State game. Um, there was a lot of talk nationally about like the 3-3-5 maybe being kind of like a new wrinkle, a new trend, uh, because it put, causes so much confusion. And it's just an interesting thought because we brought in Babers basically to have this really trendy, new-age, up-tempo offense that would counteract some of the uh, – the talent deficit that we would face on that end of the ball. And, you know, I think the, the uh, jury's still out to a lot of its, I mean, to a large extent, he had 10 wins two years ago, obviously struggles otherwise. Um, I kind of wonder if we're going to see way more three, three fives coming up. If the, if there continues to be success at places like San Diego state um, at Mississippi state, uh, obviously if Syracuse finishes in the top half um, uh, of, of the ACC and is one of like the more improved defenses in the S- uh, FBS, it wouldn't surprise me if we saw um, more coaches looking at that as an option to like just mix things up and maybe, you know, get some shock factor in there. Uh, especially if you're a team like Syracuse, where like you're probably not going to be competing week in and week out uh, to like, you know, win ten games every year. It could happen once in a while, but if you can stun a team like we've seen our offense do uh, in years past, like the Clemson game, the Virginia Tech game, like there's a lot of value in that um, in getting those big wins, those big like the unpredictability factor. So. Um, I'm definitely impressed with it. Uh, I think, like you said, it, it's arguably the more, it's probably definitively the more fun side of the ball for us through three weeks, which is not generally what you think when you hear defense. But um, they're just, they're so big play prone. And guys like Sisto, when he's healthy, and hopefully he's back after the bye week. Shul Williams, we already knew, was an exciting player. And you have them throwing, like, Deion Sanders laterals out there with him and Jihad Carter. Um, just, just, I, I was, like, mouth agape when I watched that happen. I couldn't believe they pulled that off. I still don't know how that worked. I mean, I don't know about you, but I still don't know how that worked. It was so crazy to watch live because you couldn't see Williams on the screen on the broadcast. So Carter's in this, like, sea of players. And the fact that he turned around and flipped it was crazy. There was another video, and I don't know who put it out. Uh, that had the end zone view facing uh, from the offensive side of the ball. And you actually see Trill like calling for the ball, like he was a quarterback in a shotgun snap. So Uh, that was, uh, that was uh, Nico Tamurian from uh, Seattle Central who got that video. Yeah. I tweeted that out. It's great video. So go, go check that out if you haven't seen it yet. So like, and we, we got eventually got the story um, that they had their, their roommates and they had planned this out. Um, That didn't make it any less like just completely, like galling that they'd actually try in the game, but good for them. I mean, and it wasn't like a, you know, the game wasn't secure yet. It was a, what, a 10 point game when they did it. So Georgia Tech, there was a scenario which Georgia Tech could still come back. Um, but Dino's lying about, you know, if it doesn't work, he's taking the trash out for the rest of the year. Perfect. Because like that could have been an all time gap. And yet it turned into like an incredible highlight. So loved it. Um, definitely kind of loved it. Maybe we should never do it again, but if you do it again, it better work. Um, 
but I appreciate that the guys feel like the freedom to to have fun and do that kind of thing because it's uh, it's not something. I mean, when when you ever get to play like that, that's all over like the entire college football world for the rest of the day. It's fun, um, and it capped off great way to cap off the win. Not unlike the Wake Forest uh, win last year, where like just a really fun way to end that game. So. Yeah, um, both sides of the ball, definite improvements. I mean, the defense has been playing well all year, um, it, but it was nice to see them also get a little bit more of a breather from the offense um, in terms of uh, staying on the field and being able to put some points up. But uh, And it's not surprising. They, they came and played a really good fourth quarter, um, even after Georgia Tech was able to find some things um, that worked. The fourth quarter, they shut them out. They, they kind of refound themselves. And I think a lot, a lot of that is that they didn't have that crazy pressure um, of the first two games where they played so well through three quarters and, and then just out of got worn out. So um, hopefully more of that uh, going into the, uh, into the bye week um, going, uh, with two weeks to play. What do you think is the area where, in which you are looking for um, the most development now that we have the sets to practice time coming up? Uh, where, where do you think we, the, the most work needs to be done for this team to really hit its stride going into the, I guess back like two thirds of the season. Ooh, that's a good one because I, uh, there there's a lot of areas that still need to be worked on for this team. Yes, I know it was a great win, and there's a lot of things that showed improvement, but I think there's a lot of areas I think a lot of people can agree on. There's a lot of things that need to be worked on, and I think the biggest one has got to be the uh, versatility of the offensive playbook. Sure, the offense looked a lot better, but when you take a look at the touchdowns that were scored by Syracuse, only one of those touchdowns, and that was the second Tucker uh, touchdown when he ran behind Bear and Josh Black for the score uh, inside the red zone, was a fairly well-strung-together drive, and even that was helped because of the Trill Williams interception. Every other touchdown was Tucker getting lucky not getting taken to the ground on his first uh, touchdown up the middle, Good awareness by him on that. I'm not taking it away from him, but a little bit lucky in a big play. And the other two were bombs by DeVito, uh, where it was a short drive, and all he did was find Harris and Johnson beating their mans on short drives. We haven't seen a other other than a little bit of that second Tucker uh, touchdown, a well constructed drive from deep in Syracuse territory. That results in a touchdown in terms of them marching up the field bit by bit, moving the chains uh, bit by bit, getting in the red zone and converting a touchdown. Because while the big plays are nice, and that's obviously how Syracuse won the game, you can't rely on that every single week, especially against defenses that are going to be better than Georgia Tech's. Let's also remember that the reason why one of the big reasons why Syracuse looks so good against Georgia Tech is that Georgia Tech arguably has one of the weakest defenses in the entire ACC. UNC and Pitt have really, really strong players on their defensive side of the ball. Take a look at their linebackers. That's probably one of the biggest reasons why the run didn't get as much developed as you would like to see from, from the Syracuse side of the ball is that the UNC and Pitt linebackers are immense, and some of them will make all ACC teams, some of them, Chad Surratt, maybe a Cam Bright, will make All-American teams as well. But when you take a look at the offensive diversity, the only plays that seemed to succeed for Syracuse in terms of the passing game were slants and into the middle. 
the receivers were asked to beat quarterbacks on one-on-one matchups just by pure speed, which the Syracuse wide receivers can do, but that's not a tactic that can work all the time, i.e. Todd Harris not beating his man on DeVito's interception. So if Syracuse can improve the offensive playbook a little bit more in terms of finding more plays and more ways to get the ball from DeVito to his wide receivers, I think that's the biggest thing we need to see. We saw a bit more versatility from the running game, which is, I think, helps Tucker a lot as well. He wasn't just running out the middle every single um, every single time he got the ball. He was doing a few rushes to the outside as well, which I think really helped in terms of him getting a lot of yardages, a lot of yards against uh, Georgia Tech. But until we see the offensive versatility increase more, it's it's going to be a question to how much Syracuse can get done just by grinding out football. And in terms of uh, if you're opposing defenses, all they have to worry about is just limiting the big play. Don't allow plays of over 30 yards. And that could have been a, that could be an easy way to nullify any advantage that Syracuse might find offensively. Now, a big way you could do that, as we mentioned, use the tight ends. They were so good last year, but there was a stat I saw uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, from Sterling Gilbert's time at, Miss, at McNeese State last year. His tight ends throughout the entire season at McNeese State last year caught six balls the entire year, not just in a game, the six balls in the entire year for 35 yards. And when you have two talented tight ends offensively and Aaron Hacken and Luke Benson, who showed in the past couple of years what they can do offensively to add much more versatility to Syracuse's offense and different looks, it is a waste of talent and an egregious mistake to not use those guys as well. So the big two things, more more versatility in the routes on the wide receivers to get DeVito more ways to just move the ball up the field instead of looking for the long ball and use the damn tight ends, please. Yeah, I, I'm I'm right with you on both of those. I think uh, obviously this is the first week we had any kind of successful touchdown drives, but like you said, they were pretty big play predicated um, between the long run from uh, Carter and then the the two long passes. I mean, our longest touchdown drive was seven plays, which is like fine, um, but it would be nice to see like a ten play sustained drive with third down conversions and like. Pit, uh, picking apart defense without having to rely on those big explosive plays because those aren't those aren't things you can necessarily rely on as you said um especially you know we saw we saw the pit unc game where we weren't hitting any of them and and, and you get the results you get and also those long drives i think are, are a huge part of keeping the defense fresh you want to be able to kind of modulate the the tempo and and slow things down when you can and and use clock when it's advantageous to you and then the tight ends we've been talking about all year on this podcast like Hackett is a really good blocker. He should help in the run game, even if you're not throwing to him. Um, I just think it, it's a mistake to not have him on the field more, um, both as a pass-catching threat and a blocker. Um, Benson, you could split out wide, is a really, like, diverse skill set. And obviously, I, I think it's way too early to say, like, you know, Gilbert isn't the right fit or whatever. Um, certainly don't want to pass any, like, premature judgments on him. And obviously, he had a nice game. I thought the play calling was a lot better this weekend. Um, but, like, if, if you have two really solid weapons there, get them involved. I think there, there's always a, a debate in football whether you should um, kind of adjust to your talent or have your talent, like, fit into your scheme. Like, it's kind of like a, a Mike Leach versus Bill Belichick thing. Um, not to, like, equate those two coaches, but, like, 
you know exactly what Mike Leach is going to run, no matter who you give him, and you know that if you're if you're the Patriots, they're going to find a way to have Tom Brady win them games, and now Cam Newton win them games, uh, and and they've always adjusted to the talent they have around them, um, and it seems like we're. I don't think we have like a definitive answer as to which side we're falling on here. Um, Babers has tended to kind of lean more towards the like calling the offense for the players he has. Um, but you'd hope that with him and Gilbert, um, that would include getting the tight ends involved when I think they could be two of the five or six most dynamic playmakers we have. So in, in definitely agree with you there. Uh, it was nice to see them catch any balls this weekend after the first two weeks. There's no reason why we can't get them more involved. Um, I think, uh, and then going into, uh, I thought the offensive line. Um, I know Steve talks about it more. That's his, that's his, uh, his specialty. <laughs> I thought they were better. Um, it is weird. I saw him yesterday with the, uh, his talk with Andy, kind of bring up and I, the the PFF stats which I'm looking at now, kind of, uh, kind of back this up. It's we have like a weird, like someone gets like cursed every game or something where someone just can't, just has a bad game. And it was Federella week one. It was uh, Service week two. Um, this week, uh, it was Darius Tisdale, who was our, our graded as our worst starter. Obviously, pro football focus is not like everything, but in terms of, um, you know, just kind of validating what you saw, um, he had the weak game. Luckily, I think everyone else played better than they had uh, for the most part, and we should be getting um, some more depth back uh, this week with um, uh, ooh, Lincoln on the, the Dakota guard. Davis. Yes, Dakota Davis. Thank you. Um, who returns. Uh, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on how he fits in? Do you think he's going to step right into the starting lineup, or, or do you think it's going to kind of uh, take some, some shifting around here? I think he can step in for Tisdale uh, because he's Tisdale has always been the backup to a Davis or an Adams. Um, surprisingly, not Elmore, because I think that's a, big, that's a big talking point as well through the first three games. Chris Elmore has not been awful um, in his first three games as an offensive yeah. lineman. In fact, he's been... Probably a little bit better than average. Yes, Steve can talk to this more, but from what we've seen, the mistakes on the offensive line are not coming from him. Through the first three games, you you mentioned the three players that um, had those three bad games, Federello against UNC, Service against Pitt, Tezadillo against Georgia Tech. None of those guys are Chris Elmore. He's done incredibly well to not be a factor in why Syracuse is effectiveness uh, on the offensive line is questioned. It's the other guys that are getting are questioned and not him. And that's a very impressive for a guy who has never taken a snap in the college game as a true offensive lineman inside the trenches, battling on every single play to block for the guys behind him. I think that's incredibly impressive. So for Davis, it'll probably be him coming in for Tisdale, which is, I think, what we probably expected uh, him to be, um, for Davis to slot into one of the guard spots. Um, this was also also thinking that Chris, Chris Bleich would be available, but I think Davis was always destined for one of those guard spots, and I think he'll still slot in well um, to fit in for Tisdale um, in that spot. And that's not just because he had a bad game against Georgia Tech. I just think that Davis has been more consistent as a blocker than Tisdale has shown in terms of his first three games. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see how he, if he does come back and how it fits in because a lot of what Service talked about in the preseason was communication across the entire line. Now, that hasn't really seemed to be a factor, but 
does if Davis comes in and the line looks remarkably worse and DeVito gets sacked multiple times again, do you put Tisdale back in just because he's familiar with the guys he's playing with and the guys that he's playing with are familiar with him as well? That'll be something interesting to watch as well. If Babers decides, hey, I still like my offensive line, even though we gave up 14 sacks over the first two games. Yikes. But their chemistry is something I don't want to ruin. So Dakota, until I need to make a drastic change, they'll be on the bench. That could be a possibility as well. So who who knows with that? But I think if it does happen, he'll come in for Tisdale. Yeah, I, I think that's the most obvious move. And and again, credit to Elmore um, for filling in and like and learning offensive line is not an easy thing to do. And he hadn't played it since middle school, I don't think. Um, so the fact that he hasn't been uh, he hasn't been a weak link has been pretty like I think as you said, average for the team. It's a huge win. I expected it to be a much bigger issue. Not to take away from him at all. It was like kind of an impossible thing you asked him to do, and he's done it quite well, like way better than I think anyone reasonably expected. So for him to not be the guy who might lose lose out on starting job here uh, is pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, I, I think that actually having this happen ahead of the bye week is nice because it gives you the practice time. And it wouldn't totally shock me if they opted to leave Tisdale in there for a week, like you said, just because we are coming off our best offensive line game, even if he was the guy who struggled. Um, only gave up one sack, I think, uh, after the first two weeks where DeVito got sacked, it seemed like once or twice a drive. Um, and, and again, like it, we, we're going to learn a lot, I think, um, as we go forward here, the pit, the pit game, like Pitt's missing one of their best defensive tackles, but their defensive line is, I mean, they gave uh, Louisville significant problems as well um, this weekend. UNC again hasn't played since we saw them, and like I don't think anything was like crazy was thought of their defensive line heading into the year, except for their you know a talented group. So um, we'll see if they were uh, really good and we just didn't realize it yet, or if or if uh, or if it was just a really bad first game. But in any case, I think having this like pretty successful game against Georgia Tech, even if there was still a decent amount of pressure, um, was a good sign overall. And then the bye week, I actually think, I, I don't love having buys this early in the season, but given all that, I think coming off a win and then having the buys to kind of address some things before uh, we get back in action um, is a nice thing. Um, I will, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, about how things are going to progress going forward, but um, I think we'll take it to halftime here. Um before we talk about our fun halftime activities as we normally do, uh, we're plugging home field this week. Home field, uh, incredibly comfortable vintage college apparel, uh, launched their Syracuse line back on September 5th. I am sure if you listen to this podcast, you've seen it. Uh, they have like I think like 10 or so really cool designs. I am currently wearing uh, a Loud House uh, in mem- uh, memory of our uh, dearly departed Carrier Dome. Um, I wore the Q's script shirt, which I think is probably my, my favorite of the group uh, during the game. So I will have to wear that for the next game. It just, that's just how this works. Um, so yeah, they're just, they're super comfortable, um, really soft, uh, super high quality. So if you haven't gotten those yet, uh, there's still an opportunity to get a nice discount with the code NUNES, N-U-N-E-S, uh, over at Homefield Apparel. So definitely check that out. Um, I don't know. Have you done any of the Homefield stuff yet, Christian? I haven't gotten any of them yet, but I'm definitely interested in the auto stuff because I really love that auto logo. It's one of my favorite uh, Syracuse logos. So probably a auto shirt or the Q script shirt is up for order for me because those shirts look great. I got the auto with like the crest around it. Um, 
which yeah. is also great. I got so many. I I ordered too many shirts. Like it was, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I was, I just like I haven't bought a Syracuse shirt in a, in a while, probably in like a year or so, and uh, I probably didn't need more because, as any Syracuse fan knows, like you shirts just come to you, um, especially when you're a student. Shirts just like fly into your drawers. You don't know where they're coming from. Um, but it had been a bit, so I, I invested. It was right around my birthday, so I, I uh, jumped in on the home field experience. And, and their other shirts of their other schools are also great if you want to uh, mix it up a little bit and, and mess around with some Tulane or some Hawaii or uh, some Slippery Rock. Um, really get, get involved in the full uh, spectrum of college football here. Um, yeah, halftime, uh, we usually talk beer. Um, I realized preparing, I, had, I didn't drink any beer this past week. I just like, took like a break that I wasn't planning. Um, did you indulge in anything beer or uh, just life otherwise, Christian, that you uh, really enjoyed this past week? This past week, uh, no, not really. I, my my big quarantine activity, um, which started before quarantine, but has continued to ramp up ever since, is that my dad and I always play tennis twice a week. So that's our big that's our big activity together is uh, getting together with a couple of other people and playing a tennis clinic, and that's something. And that's a, that's a, a really cool highlight of my uh, week is to get outside, actually enjoy some fresh air for once um, after spending the entire summer cooped up inside the house. Um, but to get outside and actually run around um, and uh, do some activities outside has always been very nice. And I got to do that again this week, which was really cool. Um, so, yeah, that's that was my that's usually the highlight of the week. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was actually, we got a nice, like, we had, like, a false fall, I think. You're in the Northeast, right? You're, uh... Yeah, no, I'm in New Jersey right now. Okay, yeah, so, uh, we both got, like, a weird, like, false fall a couple weeks ago. It was, like, 60, and then it was back up to, like, almost 80 this weekend, so definitely a nice weekend for it. I was able to get out that a little bit, and then I, yesterday, uh, sat on the couch and watched NFL all day, uh, after college, but today I was out and about, so, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely a good weekend for it, um. If you are not like me and congratulately obligated to spend all Saturday watching football. And then uh, I did it again Sunday just because, like, you know, this that happens. Uh, but I try to use some of my NFL Sundays to actually do other stuff, too. So, um, yeah, definitely uh, enjoying this weather until it turns on us here because it's going to be a, a tough winter, I think, all things considered. Um, yeah. given if if anything calling. 2020 has told us, it's going to be tough no matter what's going to get thrown at us come in November or December. Yeah, it's, it, it does, it doesn't look promising what's ahead. I'm not, I'm not optimistic. Hopefully the football no. team will continue to, to have this nice little upswing. Um, so yeah, we'll jump back in there. Um, I think one of the things that people noticed after our win with the, the sunshine of the rainbows that came with it, um, the schedule, which looked pretty daunting when we announced it um, with the reconfiguration doesn't look as daunting um, after week three. Duke may be the worst team in the ACC. Um, I don't, I'm don't. i not going to commit to them there, but they're in the running. Liberty is Liberty. Um, and they actually look okay. Uh, they scare me more yeah, than some the, other teams. The, uh, who, who came into this year thinking that the scariest home game was going to be Liberty? Because it might be. It's, it's, it, you, it's a conversation. Um, we knew the home schedule was easier. Um, Liberty may look better than most of these other teams. So we're, 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 we're off this week. We have Duke on the 10th. We have Liberty on the 17th. We're at Clemson, 24th. Who cares? We all know. Like, <laughs> we got it. <laughs> and then we're, we're home against Wake Forest, who does not look good. Um, I forget what Wake did. Uh, they were the ones who got stomped by BC, right, a couple weeks ago? I think so. And then the, the ironic thing is after the Wake Forest game, 
is BC, who almost lost to Texas State. No, actually, Wake lost to Clemson by a lot, and then they lost to NC State, who NC State looked pretty bad. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that doesn't got look great. Killed, got killed by a Vatech team that was literally missing, like, 20 players and a coach. Um, 23 so that, players and two coaches were not available yes. uh, during that game. Yeah, so that's not great. Um, and we knew NC State would be questionable this year. BC, people were really propping up after the Duke game because that seemed better, I guess, than it was. And then they only won against Texas State at home by three. Uh, Texas State... On a last-second field goal also. Yes, like they barely beat Texas State. Um, and Texas State's like probably one of the... Uh, they're like a middling Sunbelt team at best. Um, sometimes they're pretty bad. Uh, they're like... Yeah, I mean, this year they might be the worst team in Texas because UTEP is, like, weirdly resurgent. Um, and then we're at Louisville uh, on the tw- November 20th. Louisville, um, I think they're still really talented, but they haven't looked great. Like, Miami handled them. Pitt beat them pretty uh, – it was it was a close game, but Pitt controlled it throughout. And then that NC State game, the Notre Dame close the year. Um, this schedule's really opened up for us, I think. Uh, I think we – going in, obviously, Clemson and Notre Dame were rough. We thought Louisville would be a lot better. Um, we thought BC might be scrappy. Like we thought, Wake would be a little more, a little better. Do you think? Obviously, one one game of Georgia Tech being what they are is not going to like totally reshape the conversation here. Um, but do you think that we're starting to like align our our uh, expectations now to like, oh, maybe we could win like four or five games because you know we're at home and even if there are no fans, like the travel thing is a factor. And a lot of these teams just don't look very good. Like I don't know. Do you think it's crazy to to like? kind of recenter here and say this our expectations kind of are where they were the start of the season even after two really bad games or are you still pretty concerned overall or both i think i'm on the i think i'm on the more optimistic side um if you looked actually at the preseason predictions that we did uh on the site i actually was the only person and i thought i was crazy for doing this at the time i was the only person who predicted that syracuse would finish with an above 500 record and i said in that and I think Syracuse could realistically win every single game at home. I thought every single game on the road was going to be a loss. And through the first three games, that might be the case from what we've seen through these um, through these first three games with Syracuse. Because remember what Syracuse and all ECC teams have to do when they go on the road. It's a get in and then get out quickly. It's a really tough schedule to adapt to in terms of getting in really late, probably, because they want to make these trips as close to 24 hours as possible, um, and then get on the ground, take a COVID test, go into meetings, crash, and then wake up the next day, play, and then get quickly out. That's not comfortable for guys who are more comfortable with extended trips in terms of their football schedules over the past couple of years. So the road factor, I think, is a big issue, especially when you look at the strength of the teams that are coming. As you mentioned, all the rest of the five teams that are coming don't look to be particularly strong. So we are now entering a world where there is a big possibility where Syracuse could win every game at home. And I think fans forgot that the road schedule is tough and that the first two teams that Syracuse faced were ranked. Yes, Pitt may not have been ranked every single team in the FBS was playing, but it was still a ranked team and still a good team that it has projected to finish near the top half of the ACC. So when you take all of that into consideration, 
this is a home schedule where you could see Syracuse win all six games. And if you didn't think the offense looked great against a UNC and Pitt, remember, those defenses are markedly better towards the top half of the ACC. I don't think we can say that about the six teams that are coming to the Carrier Dome this year. So, that being said, we could also see very... If if the Louisville Cardinals aren't as strong as we think they are, we could see a very real possibility where the only games that Syracuse loses this season are to ranked teams. And that would be a massive achievement for Syracuse because five to seven wins this season would actually be pretty good. I don't think people would people would be okay with five, but you would still see the fire Dino Babers uh, comments in the in the game threads. Six would be good. Seven, I think, would have people turning heads. And I think, obviously, the game that we're looking at as the seventh win would be Louisville. Um, it would, remains to be seen how quickly Syracuse can turn that around and how quickly Louisville can turn things around. I think the things that we talked about that we talked about uh, previously in terms of Syracuse improving the offensive play call and using the tight ends and a couple of the defensive issues to run defense and zone coverage, if Syracuse tightens up on those, that's where we could see decent win totals for Syracuse that reinvigorate some life back into the program and into the fan base and could make Syracuse quote-unquote bowl eligible unofficially officially because every team is now somehow officially able to be bowl eligible. But I digress. It's still a massive achievement to when expectations were once again coming in low to escape with a above 500 record this season, I think would be a massive achievement for Syracuse and something that as the season develops is starting to look very plausible. Yeah, I, I think we're definitely entering uh, a weird space and obviously it's very early and we don't know exactly what these teams will look like, but we're, we're entering a place where like either Louisville or Liberty is like the hinge game. Um, Liberty, uh, yeah, Liberty is the hinge game. If you told us, if you told anyone on staff that was going to be the key game to the season, they would have been fired on the spot, probably. And like, I don't want to overblow what Liberty's done. They're two and zero. They have a, a six point win against Western Kentucky and a two point win over Florida International. Um, and I know uh, WKU also played Louisville. Um, actually, put up twenty one on them. I think it was it was uh, it wasn't too uh, close a game. It was like thirty five twenty one or so. Um, but we're, we're just, it, it's, uh, it seems like, you know, BC, what good is Duke? Duke could just be a, could just be a mess. We're, we're going to find out uh, in two weeks what Duke is. Um, they may be the worst in the ACC. Um, they've had a lot of roster turnover. We do get our, our buddy Chase Bryce from the uh, oh, year upset of Clemson in 2018. Uh, yeah, 2018. Yeah, it was two years ago. He's the starter at Duke now, as of now. Um, it was 35-21 between Louisville and Western Kentucky, but... I expect us to win that game based on how everyone's looked so far. Um, Boston College is interesting. Um, they beat Duke pretty bad, but then they, uh, you know, nearly lose to Texas State. Um, they're also with a new coach, so, like, I don't know that the expectations should be that high for Boston College. Um, I think Jeff Halfley's done a decent job there so far, but, you know, new coaches will struggle when they get in the heart of conference play unless they're inheriting, like, a really, really talented program, which is usually not the case. That's why there's a new coach. Um so I think those are the three games that we're looking at. I think Duke should be, you know, if, if we have any hope of doing anything, Duke should be a win. Uh, Wake Forest, same. NC State doesn't look very good. Um, and then Clemson and Notre Dame are kind of write-offs. So 
yeah, I think Louisville, uh, Liberty hopefully is just an easy win. It's just like we, I, I need to see more from them. They're 2-0 and um, against other group of fives. But people, I think, have said they look pretty good. I think they're, they're relatively explosive on offense, which scares me a bit. Um, but so is North Carolina. Like, I mean, we, we held North Carolina in check for three quarters. So um, it's probably just a little bit of uh, expecting the worst on my part. Um, but, yeah, no, I think it, it's kind of scary to, like, talk yourself into it because of how bad the first two weeks look. But like you said, those could end up being two of the four hardest games on the schedule. I mean, they probably will be um, based on Louisville losing to Pitt. Like, there's a very good chance that um, those are, are two two of our four toughest games. Notre Dame or Clemson, it'd be a massive upset. It could happen. We've seen it. We've seen us upset both those teams in the last, like, ten years. But, um, yeah, I don't think you, like, look for it. Um, so then if you're just, like, kind of hoping to win, you know, four more games, I think it's really realistic. And – who knows what eligibility will look like, but if you're a five-win Syracuse team and, like, you know, you're going to have the bad SEC teams only playing 10 games, so they're not going to have as much opportunity, and they're probably not going to have many, like, easy wins because they're not playing anyone else. Um, same with the Big Ten. Um, I think if you get to five wins, you're probably a bowl lock. And the Big Stripe Bowl is calling for Syracuse. <laughs> oh, we're I overdue. Think... <laughs> yeah. We're overdue, and they're not going to want to have uh, crazy travel. Yeah, exactly. I think I think that's going to come into a big factor as well. That Syracuse is going to be one of the closest programs to Yankee Stadium. It's probably it's probably only Rutgers that is closer to Yankee Stadium than Syracuse. I think that's going to play a big factor into it. I think I think even if Syracuse doesn't improve the same way that um, that we might think they might, especially given the um, still quote unquote questions that are that remain about the offense. It still could be a very real possibility that we still see Syracuse go to the pinstripe bowl and play Rutgers because I think I think that's actually going to be like if I was a Vegas odds maker I think that'd be a very 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 close odds in terms of that matchup actually happening and it, you obviously you won't have said it before the season but that's probably also the dream matchup for for the New York area the New Jersey area to finally get that matchup. Uh, underway in a in a bowl game in a local area as well. It rains to be seen if fans would actually be allowed in that um, or if they would want to go because it will probably be snowing in New York at that time anyway. But I think I think don't correct that out of the realm of possibility even if Syracuse somehow decides to lose the rest of the way. Yeah, I mean, it depends on – now we're going to have, I mean, pretty much every program except for UConn, New Mexico, and – uh, Old Dominion are playing. Um, even UMass is dragging themselves back into contention here for some reason. Um, so I don't know. It's a, like there we're now out of the out of the situation where like there are too many bowl slots, which it looked like there were going to be when the Big Ten and Pac-12 were gone and the Mountain West and the MAC. Um, but I still think that de- uh, you know because we're kind of breaking all the rules in terms of wins and whatnot, um, I think Power Five teams are going to be at a big advantage. So. If there's the opportunity for like a pinstripe bowl or someone to take a Syracuse at five win, even at four win, maybe if they're like you know look okay, um, it's very likely that you'll see something like that. Um, it remains to be seen what Rutgers does if they're going to win enough, but they'll be eligible because there isn't that barrier. I also wonder if we could have like an Army, maybe Army, because they're also pretty close and they should be. I mean, they look good, so they should be um, in the bowl mix uh, because there isn't like a worry about the number of games. But yeah, I, I think. Uh, it's just so weird because of how down everyone was after the first two weeks. But things are things are everything's in play in terms of like where you'd even hope to go in a normal season 
outside of like just the weirdness of no fans and, and whatnot. But um, yeah, I think just like uh, after a couple hours after the game, I looked at the schedule. I'm like, uh, this looks a lot different than it seemed uh, just a few weeks ago. And we were like, this schedule is brutal. At the time, it was. Um, my only concern is now like we don't get Florida State, and if we're ever going to get Florida State, like there's no better year. They look abysmal. Um, but so is life. Such is life. Um, yep. Yeah. So hopefully everyone enjoyed the game. Um, we don't have a game next week, so this episode is going to be a little shorter. Uh, do you have any other uh, anything else you want to bring up about this this week or any of the other stuff going around the program? Uh, just probably noted Dion Waiters going to the NBA Finals. Uh, that should just did a note in this podcast. Um, uh, you know, Dion will most likely get a ring no matter what because obviously he was with the Heat um, yes. before the season started. Um, it's up to the Heat. From what, from what I've read, it's up to the Heat if they want to give Waiters a ring or not. But if in, in any case, he'll most likely get a he'll most likely get a ring. So Just who would have thought that? Incredible yeah, who, who, yeah. So who who would have thought that Dion Waiters would be the guy to get uh, Syracuse's first ring in God knows how long? Which I did not realize that until that the piece uh, by Haley Oshanti at the Ringer. Yeah, I did not mm-hmm. know that no Syracuse player had ever won uh, an NBA uh, NBA title, a modern NBA title at least. Um, it's kind of shocking because like, we had so many. It's not like we've had like a drought of guys ever. Like there's always like someone in the NBA, and you'd think like a just like someone would hang on and happen. Like you know, Wes Johnson played in the NBA for over a decade. Hakeem Bork played forever, and no one was just ever on the right team. Uh, so um, it, I mean, Dion will get at least like even if you don't want to count it, like he'll get the ring in all likelihood. Cause as you said, generally teams do that for anyone who was on the roster last year, unfortunately, Malachi Richardson missed it by like a couple of weeks. I think he got, it was a yeah. very trade to the, to the Sixers or else he would have gotten one for the Raptors. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and also it's, it's kind of perfect that Seattle will be the guy because he gets it. Hopefully he actually plays. I know his minutes have been pretty limited in the playoffs, but um, he, he's yeah. been dealing with an injury from what, if I could recall correctly, so um, he he's been doubt from what I remember he's been doubtful for the first for the first part of the conference finals, but then got okay. downgraded to questionable um, as the uh, series went on. So that's probably the reason why he hasn't gotten as many minutes as as uh, you would think. But if he's ready to play, I think uh, I think he'll be a he he's shown that he was a very good option off the bench for them. Um, he played really well a couple before the playoffs. Like he looked yeah. good. He was averaging like eleven, twelve points a game. I think, I mean, they, their, their guard play is what it is. Like, Caruso's a nice player. Um, Danny Green is either, like, hitting shots or he's kind of can't play him. So, yeah. I, 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 would like to, I would like to see, and I'm not a Lakers fan, but I can't root against Dion in good faith. And I would like to see Dion have, like, one good finals moment. That's all I want. Because just one, yeah, I like... Think, I think that's what we're all looking for. We're, we're looking for that one classic Dion moment that we all know when we look at him and say, yeah, that is a Dion Waiters moment. No one else in the league could get away with that. Just like one instance of him like like waving off LeBron, who's open uh, for an easy drive to the bucket and hitting like a 28-foot contested three. That's all I want. Just one. Um, yeah, so that'll be fun. Uh, the finals start up uh, Wednesday, I think, uh, against the Miami Heat. Um, but yeah, I think otherwise uh, everything else is getting underway. Um, we'll probably find out more about basketball, I think, soon. I know the season's supposed to start November 25th, but otherwise everything is just kind of in limbo. Um, we've been lucky so far not to have our games impacted because we've had like 20-something uh, FBS games already postponed this year, so hopefully that continues. Obviously, we got a scare on Saturday. Um, but otherwise, yeah, hopefully everyone uh, enjoys their bye week. Yeah, um, I think one thing we can talk about uh, 
one quick thing we could talk about for before we fully wrap this up is uh, what did you think of the new improvements to the stadium that shall not be named as the Dome? Um, I think it looked cool. I saw. I know some people were complaining that the the, the the center panels are not like fully transparent or translucent. Um, I think that would have been. I think it would look look great. I think functionally, it would have been weird to have like the big sunspot that you would have had, yeah. uh, especially for basketball. Um, the, the the scoreboard looks awesome. Um, I know it's it's it seems like it's gonna be stable in the middle there, but it's still so big. I think it'll be really useful for basketball because I think most of the basketball fans, except for the pullout seats, are gonna be able to see it. Um, and it looked like they were able to do like live video on there, which is really cool. It looks great. Um, I really liked the like we didn't get a full view of it, um, but after touchdowns, it looked like they had like the lights go off on the roof, which is really cool. Um, and there was some like orange effects. But if you look, if you go rewatch game, you could kind of see when they were panning on the sideline to show players like there was like an orange hue uh, because they put like, the actual lights off and they uh, they they had like the orange effects going. Um, I thought that was really neat, uh, and you know will probably look really cool when people are in there, especially at night for basketball games. But I just remember, like, hearing about at the Dome um, when I was at, at Juice, like, it was such a, a process to get the lights on. Like, it was, like, minutes. So you couldn't really do cool stuff like that. You couldn't have the cool basketball intros unless you wanted to really, like, wait. Um, and that wasn't an option for, like, actual games. And this, it seems pretty instantaneous. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big fan. I can't wait to actually get there. Um, and it might not be until next year, unfortunately, if that. Um, but I think that it looks, it looks really good and, and definitely got some attention. Yeah, I think the the two things that you can also talk about as well is one, you won't get the same like vacuum effect that you got from previous years. Yeah, I'll I miss think that going through. That. I, th- I felt that I feel like they should have built something in to still have that. <laughs> I, I I miss having going through having to go through the media entrance and using every ounce of my power oh. just to get the door open through the media entrance. That was rough. Yeah, like, and, and the average fan might not realize this, like, I only used media entrance a few times. The regular entrances and exits were, like, pretty powerful. The media entrance is, like, a different animal. <laughs> it was... It's, it's, it, it, it's, it's not for the weary, let's, let's put it that way. Um, I, I, yeah, I think that, I think that's, uh, that was really cool. And I think the, the other cool thing that we saw about the, um, about the dome is, and I know Kevin is going to talk about it, um, Either whenever this podcast goes up, it should be on the site today, or it should already be on the site whenever you're listening. As Kevin should be talking about um, the additions that Syracuse can make to the new Ring of Honor that they introduced to the Dome as well. You have five names up there already. It's the, the 344 guys, uh, Beheim and Washington, Pearl Washington. Um, and there, there's a lot of opportunity for Syracuse to get creative in terms of honoring uh People in other sports who have made contributions, so your Roy Simmons Juniors, your Gary Gates, and also the women of Syracuse uh, that made athletic achievements as well, your Kathleen Switzers of the world. Um, so Syracuse is a really cool opportunity there to recognize athletes and not just the stereotypical football and basketball athletes, but athletes of Syracuse athletics in general who have made a significant impact to the Orange program. That's a really cool opportunity to shed light on those guys as well in the Dome. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I know we've had some discussions about like jersey retirements, and we just—it's basically been a football and basketball thing, and it really should open up to more sports, especially because so many sports play in the dome. Like we even have softball games in the dome at this point. Like you should really open it up to like, and I know you don't—you want to make it special, but 
when none of those sports have representation at things like the Ring of Honor and the Jersey Retirements, like, it's still going to be pretty special when you do it. Um, but, yeah, the school definitely needs to do a better job, especially with women's sports. Because we've had incredible ones. Like, we have national championship-level field hockey teams. Women's lacrosse has been so good for so long. Um, so, yeah, definitely an opportunity to add more there. Um, whether you I mean even if you want to do a big ceremony once we can have fans back and just say like where this is the first class of the Ring of Honor, you have those five guys who are obvious. We all know they'd be up there. It's not to take anything away from them, obviously, but have you know Bayheim, the the representation from the forty fours, uh, Pearl and representation from Pearl, and then you know you don't have to do everyone right at once, but at least like get some some people from these sports, lacrosse, uh, field hockey, um, any anyone else who's had like these really great athletes and get them involved. Because uh, luckily, with it being like kind of a technology thing, like you can figure out to make the space. Like we, we can have a really full group because Syracuse Athletics isn't just the football and basketball and lacrosse programs, as we all know. So that was a very good point. Um, I'm excited to see all of it in person. Hopefully, sooner than later. But you know, whenever safe. Yeah, exactly. I think I think we're all excited to get our first dome experience back whenever we make our way back up to the Salt City, um, because it, it looked great from the outside. It looks great from the inside as well. And I think the fan experience will only be heightened um, when everyone gets back in there once again, even if it's only a, a few to start. I think um, there's there's nothing like attending a game in the Carrier Dome. And I think that special moment is going to be so special for all the fans, um, not just the ones who are local to the Syracuse area, but for the alumni as well and for the guys who are watching from outside of the Syracuse area. It's it's such a special place to watch a sporting event in general. Yeah, I miss it a lot. I haven't been up in, uh, I guess, at least a year. Um, and then after, you know, having this crazy year where no one can go to any sporting events outside of, like, a couple people down south and whatnot, um, I think it'll definitely be the first game there when we're, like, fully fully on the outside of, of the COVID situation and, like, don't have to worry about it and have, like, a full or close to full attendance. Like, I think it'll be pretty special just because of, you know, not only do we have all this new stuff with the roof and whatnot, but having to wait for all of it for so long, uh, it'll be pretty cool. So definitely looking forward to that. I mean, I might have to make a point of like getting to that first football game back. Um, hopefully next year. Hopefully it doesn't drag on longer than that. We can say the opening of the 2021 season uh, will be that, but we'll, we'll find out, I guess. Yep. Yep. See so anything else? I, th- I think that's it. Thanks for having me on, Dan. Uh, this yeah. was a lot of fun. Thank you for, uh, for filling in. Uh, hopefully John is doing well. I've, you know, we've been in contact with him and it sounds like everything's going well, uh, with he and his family, which is awesome. Um, and he'll be back in a couple of weeks, but, uh, otherwise it'll, you know, it'll be me, uh, stewarding us for a few weeks here. So yes, thank you, Christian. Thank you everyone, uh, for listening. Uh, thank you Syracuse for winning a football game. Um, <laughs> thank you home field for making cool shirts. Uh, yeah. And, uh, don't orange. Go SU, go SU.